0: Welcome to the PRI Review, brought to you by the Population Research Institute. I'm your host, Christopher Manning. Steve Moser asks, are we running out of people? Everyone knows that the world is overpopulated or soon will be. But what if everyone is wrong? Ask anyone if the world is overpopulated and you know what they will say. The idea that we humans are breeding ourselves to death and taking the planet with us is in the air that we breathe. It was drummed into us in high school biology where we were told that the world is like a tiny lifeboat. We have to lighten the load, our teachers told us, or the lifeboat will sink and we'll all die. And who can forget Al Gore's doomsday scenario in which he warned us that a black hole will engulf us if we don't stop having babies? Armageddon, anyone? But it's worth thinking about what would happen if everyone actually abandoned childbearing, because it turns out that a lot of young people are already doing exactly that. While on the fantasy island of overpopulation, human numbers are always exploding. A close look at the real world reveals an increasingly barren reality. Many nations, especially in Europe, are already in a death spiral, filling more coffins than cradles each year. Listen closely and you will hear the muffled sound of populations crashing. The birth dearth that began in post-war Europe has now spread to every corner of the globe. China is dying. India and Latin America are rapidly growing old while the Middle East is barely holding its own. Even in once-prolific Africa, birth rates are in freefall. You may be forgiven for not knowing this because the United Nations continues to beat the overpopulation drum. Human numbers will balloon to 9.5 billion people by 2050 at chance and reach 11 or even 12 billion by the year 2100. This will happen, the UN says, because a secret fertility rebound is brewing. Women in largely barren places like Germany, France, and Japan will soon start having more children. In fact, many, many more children. Never mind that there is zero evidence to back up such a claim, which itself seems like nothing more than a desperate attempt to breathe new life into a dying theory. Buried in the U.N. data is another far more accurate projection called the low variant. But because it doesn't fit the overpopulation narrative, neither the U.N. nor the media give it much airtime. The low variant assumes that once birth rates go low, they stay low. It accepts that educated, urbanized young women in Paris, London, or Tokyo, who today want only one child or none are not suddenly going to want a second one tomorrow. Women in the rest of the world will follow and global fertility will fall to European levels or about 1.3 children per woman. The bottom line? Global numbers will peak at something less than 9 billion around 2050. After that, the human die-off will begin slowly at first, but faster and faster as the years go by. By the end of the century... We will be back to our present numbers, about seven and a half billion, but we will be collectively far older and grayer. What this means is that our present problem is not too many babies, it's too few babies. Many of today's young adults are too enamored of sex, the city, and the single life to think about marriage, much less about replacing themselves. Education delays marriage and provides other opportunities for women besides marriage and family. A single Swedish woman may eventually bear one child as her biological clock approaches midnight, but she is unlikely to bear a second. For materially minded couples in countries where the state provides old age benefits and charges high tax rates and consequence, the way to get ahead is to remain perpetually childless. The cradle-to-grave welfare programs that have now spread throughout the world have not merely made children superfluous to wealth. They have made children themselves the enemy of wealth. They are now, as the Chinese say, goods on which one loses. Why give up a second income to bring a child into the world who will never, at least in material terms, repay your investment? Why provide for the future by having children to care for you in your dotage if the government has pledged to keep you out of the poorhouse anyway. A young Florida woman, who was commuting a hundred miles a day to her well paying job, once complained to me about how little time she had to spend with her only child, a four year old son. Perhaps she could get a job locally so she could come home more, I suggested helpfully, even though it would mean selling her expensive SUV. You don't understand, she said aghast. My husband and I love this SUV. These are the calculations that are driving the old age tsunami that is about to hit the world, not just in places like New York, but in Rio and Nairobi as well. For a long time, population growth has been seen as the enemy, particularly by those who did not realize that it was a key driver of economic growth. Now, with young people becoming a scarce resource, the linkage is clear. Absent a nuclear war, global plague, or a collision with a comet, business from now on is primarily going to be a numbers game. The rapid aging of the population by reducing the amount of human capital available will dramatically darken humanity's prospects in countless ways. Population growth has been an important escalator of consumer demand. Try selling cars, houses, refrigerators, or anything, for that matter, in a depopulating country. Try seeking profitable investments in the stock market when millions of elders start slowly liquidating their IRAs and 401ks to survive. Some sectors, such as pharmaceuticals and health care, will still do well, but shrinking demand elsewhere will more than offset these gains. The ranks of workers will thin with each passing year, while the number of elderly will grow. Countries will be forced to slash pensions or raise the retirement age. Living standards may fall, and economies may well shrink. Within the next couple of decades, the world will enter a low birth rate recession. Unlike other recessions, this one may never end. Shrinking birth rates also threaten social isolation as family circles collapse. Those seniors who lack close family ties will be socially isolated and painfully lonely. As Ben Wattenberg once remarked, young dinks, double income, no kids, may be cute. Old links, low income, no kids, may be tragic. So stop telling us that we're having too many children already. Our long-term problem, which is now upon us, is too few children. This is the real black hole, and it threatens to devour us all. This is PRI Review from Pop.org. We'll be right back. Do you want to win pro-life legislative and political battles? For years, PRI has been helping pro-life leaders on the ground around the world to win legislative and political battles in order to protect the lives of the unborn. And now we're asking for your help so we can continue this vital work. Let me tell you more. In a number of countries around the world, there are still pro-life laws on the books. But the Planned Parenthood abortion alles malthusians are out there to get rid of those laws. Nearly five years ago, the Pontifical Council on the Family asked PRI to be the main organization to help the pro-life movements around the world to be more effective. In response to the Vatican's request, we created our Pro-Life Victory Seminars and our Pro-Life Strategy Guide. The seminars are grueling, demanding 12- to 14-hour, intense working sessions. Only the most proven and successful leaders are invited to speak. Only the best and the most committed activists are invited to attend. To date, we have conducted 60 such sessions in 18 countries. We have trained more than 1,700 people who are serious about protecting the unborn in their respective countries. They have won some victories, but I'm not going to tell you about those because I don't want to put a target on the back of those leaders. I'm not going to tell you the names of their countries either because I don't want to make it even harder for them to do their work. But here's a hint. Most, though not all, have Spanish as their native tongue. It's no secret that south of our border, pro-abortionists are zeroing in on the existing pro-life laws In that part of the world, I cannot tell you the battle stories, although there are many, without endangering the victories of the leaders. I must ask you to take my word that some battles in some countries could not have been won without the training and support received from PRI. What kind of training am I talking about? Everywhere in the world, defenders of life need everything strategic thinking skills, campaign skills, legislative skills, lobbying skills to protect their pro-life laws and to stop pro-death initiatives. Around the world, we found that the biggest thing lacking is know-how. By that, I mean political sophistication. Here in America, we've been fighting pro-life battles for almost 50 years, and while we haven't won definitively, we have learned a lot about how to fight as well as how not to fight. One of the most important tools of our pro-life victory training is the manual that the trainees get to take home with them, the Pro-Life Strategy Guide, the guide to winning pro-life battles. Think of it as a field guide to activism. The guide is a compendium of know-how. It is 200 pages of distilled experience and wisdom with step-by-step instructions about how to advance our issue in a representative landscape. Here's a small sampling of the know-how delivered in these training sessions. How to raise money, how to lobby legislators, how to write powerful pro-life advertising, how to effectively appear on TV and radio, how to enlist volunteers, how to get out the vote, and how to successfully debate pro-abortionists. All this and much, much more is covered in the training program and reinforced in the training guide. The first edition came out in 2012, but we are all out of them now. They have all been put in the hands of able pro-life leaders. So today, we have had it revised and updated by two of the best and most successful activists in the Spanish-speaking world. Today, the new PRI, Pro-Life Strategy Guide, The Guide to Winning Pro-Life Battles is ready to go to press. This is where you come in. Will you help us get it into the hands of the people who need it? It's in Spanish right now, and that's as it should be, because we distribute it throughout the Spanish-speaking world. The Vatican wants this field manual in every diocese in the world. Will you help me to fulfill that request? PRI has ordered 10,000 copies of the guide to be printed, enough for every student who will attend our training sessions for the next several years, along with all the actively pro-life bishops around the world. Just the printing alone will cost $50,000. The whole International Victory Training Program costs another $50,000, and that is in addition to the field guide. But right now we want to get those guides printed. So I turn to you because I know you understand its value. The cost comes out to about $5 per book, which is not very much considering the impact it can have and the lives it can save. With your tax-deductible gift of $50, PRI can put this guide into the hands of 10 in-country pro-life leaders. With a gift of $100, we can make sure that 10 friendly bishops get a copy to guide their strategic thinking in the protection of life. No gift is too small. If you can only spare $5, please send it today. Unborn babies around the world will be safer because of your sacrifice today. Can we count on you to help PRI to continue to train and empower the pro-life movement around the world? On behalf of all those fighting to preserve pro-life laws around the world, thank you. Baby Body Parts Traffickers to be Deported to Ecuador The Isaias family were some of Planned Parenthood's best customers. The brothers Roberto and William Isaias were arrested by U.S. Immigration and Customs Service officers on February 13th. The spokesman for ICE, Victor Nestor Iglesias, indicated that the brothers were illegally present in the United States and they will be deported to Ecuador where they are wanted for various crimes. But the Isaias family also has a criminal record in the state of California. They are linked to a scandal of selling human organs and tissues, particularly those of aborted babies which they trafficked internationally. Now that they are being returned to Ecuador, one wonders if they will try to start a similar business there. Planned Parenthood clinics in the United States have been accused of trafficking in baby body parts. Those who promote the legalization of abortion in Ecuador gloss over the fact that While abortion may be legal in the U.S., other crimes continue to occur. What would be the fate of the bodies of aborted Ecuadorian babies if abortion is legalized there? Will they be sold like cuts of beef at a butcher's shop to the highest international bidder? This is what happened in America. Will women's lives be put at risk so that the organ buyers can obtain the freshest tissue possible? Will Ecuadorian abortionists attempt to hide this immoral practice as Planned Parenthood directors did in the United States? In 2017, the district attorney for the county of Orange, California, sued two companies, da Vinci Biosciences, LLC, and DV Biologics, both founded and managed by Estefano Isaias and their children Andres Isaias and Estefano Isaias, Jr., for the illegal trafficking of body parts. The parties reached a settlement agreement for 7.8 million and ordered the closure and termination of the operations of both companies. Andres Isaias, son of Estefano, was listed as president of both companies, while his father and brother Estefano Isaias Jr. were in charge of financial decisions and accounting management. Luis Isaias, son of Robert Isaias, was also involved with these companies. Da Vinci Biosciences began its operations in 2008 as a laboratory exclusively dedicated to the development and research with stem cells for the treatment of diseases. In March 2009, it began to operate DV Biologics, LLC, as the lucrative branch of the family business, sharing facilities, capital, inventory, and hired personnel. In 2012, the company, the Biobox LLC, directed by Andres Isaias, was also incorporated and functioned as a stem cell bank or laboratory. In the state of California, it is permissible to conduct scientific research with stem cells and the stem cell-based market is valued at several billion dollars. The source for this is Orange County District Attorney news release from Tony Ruckelshaus, District Attorney. Between 2009 and 2011, companies practically tripled their profits from sales of tissues and human organs to pharmaceutical companies and academic institutions around the world through a network of distributors. By the end of 2011, the defendants had illegally sold tissues and cells of aborted babies to Japan, China, Singapore, South Korea, Germany, Switzerland, Spain, Australia, the Netherlands, Canada, and the United Kingdom. In 2012 alone, the companies had an inventory of 500 products with more than 13,000 units available for sale, and the inventory was based at 4.4 million. Da Vinci Biosciences bills show prices of $350 per fetal liver, $500 per fetal thymus gland, and 1,100 per fetal brain cells. The company practiced tax evasion as well. Research by District Attorney Tony Rakaukas found that the majority of prenatal sales generated a profit margin of more than 70%. Star products, such as the sale of prenatal renal fibroblasts, whose price per unit amounted to $375, generated profit margins of 1,000%. The legal settlement of $7.8 million corresponded to the assessed value of the companies and further required that all biological samples, tissues, and cells of adults that made up their inventory be donated to an academic and scientific institution affiliated with a prestigious medical school in the United States. The defendants also had to donate and transfer the laboratory storage containers, And other equipment worth more than $10,000. Finally, DV Biologics had to pay the county $195,000 in civil penalties. This legal process represents the first successful prosecution of a company selling human organs in the United States. It followed the release of videos by the Center for Medical Progress, CMP. In 2015 under its Human Capital Project. The videos showed top executives of Planned Parenthood discussing the sale of tissues and organs of babies aborted in a very graphic way and with grotesque details. This research brought to public light the fact that for eight consecutive years, the Planned Parenthood branches of Orange and San Bernardino counties in California had supplied hearts lungs, brains, and intestines of aborted babies to DV biologics. In exchange for providing parts of aborted babies, Planned Parenthood received substantial contributions from Da Vinci Biosciences. Note that Planned Parenthood Orange and San Bernardino County's 2008 annual report lists Da Vinci biosciences as one of their largest donors. Under California law, the purchase or sale of tissue or organs of embryos or fetuses is illegal, unjust, and a fraudulent practice. Under United States federal law, it is illegal to acquire, receive, or transfer any fetal human tissue in interstate commerce, and the crime is punishable by up to 10 years in prison and a fine of more than $500,000. Fetal human tissue is considered to be tissue or cells, obtained from a dead human embryo or fetus after a spontaneous or induced abortion. In order to stay in the United States, the Isaias family made hundreds of thousands of dollars in contributions to the Democratic and Republican political campaigns in what became known as the Clinton scandal, Pay for Play. Members of the Isaias family delivered $300,000 directly to Democratic politicians including Hillary Clinton through the intermediation of Cheryl Mills according to the New York Times. In return, the family received favorable treatment from the U.S. administration of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton's Department of State, which allowed them entry into the United States and later granted them political asylum. Extradition requests from the government of Ecuador were ignored. The abortion industry has shown one of the most perverse sides with the trafficking of fetal body parts, says Carlos Polo, director of the Population Research Institute office in Latin America. The videos produced by Center for Medical Progress leave nothing to the imagination, Polo says. Senior officers of Planned Parenthood commercialize the organs of aborted fetuses. Through American TV stations, we have witnessed that they have wanted Lamborghinis, They hid all this business from women, and they put their lives at risk by altering abortion procedures to get fresher organs. The involvement of the IZEA brothers in trafficking of fetal parts and the bill to decriminalize abortion in Ecuador make that world of madness and cruelty a step closer to becoming a reality in Latin American countries, Polo says. The Senator for Medical Progress journalistic investigation has elevated the investigation of the illegal trafficking and sale of organs by Planned Parenthood to the United States Congress, including the Senate Committee on the Judiciary and the House of Representatives Select Investigative Panel on Infant Lives. Both have corroborated the allegations and have uncovered systematic violations of the law by the so-called Body Parts Program and the IPPF partner companies. These entities are currently under investigation by the FBI and the U.S. Department of Justice. In the case of the member companies of Planned Parenthood, Da Vinci was the first to be prosecuted as a result of the successful journalistic investigation of the Center for Medical Progress through a series of seven videos. The Trump administration is making important strides in defunding Planned Parenthood, but it is not enough to simply take public monies away from the organization. Investigations into the sale of aborted babies must continue, for the practice has been enabled by a network of greedy politicians and underpinned by a complete lack of respect for the dignity of unborn human life. Ecuadorians and Americans should band together to jointly defend and protect human life. This is PRI Review from Pop.org. We'll be right back. What's the best way to celebrate Humanevite's 50th birthday? For most of us, the answer is close to home, and specifically in our own parishes. Here's why. Six years ago, when Timothy Cardinal Dolan was president of the U.S. Bishops' Conference, he admitted that our bishops have had laryngitis on Blessed Pope Paul's beautiful encyclical. Laryngitis for 50 years! Unfortunately, that's still true for many bishops who are too tied up with the political agenda of their national bureaucracy in Washington. There, issues like global warming, socialized medicine, and federal contracts for the bishops' welfare agencies have dominated the agenda for years, crowding out pro-life efforts and leaving humane an orphan. That doesn't mean that the lay faithful haven't been asking. We have, in fact, pleased to our shepherds have had some heartwarming results in recent months with several bishops coming forward with strong public defenses of Humanevite. But the real work has to come from the grassroots, and that means the laity, because our busy bishops can't do it alone. They need our support, our encouragement, and our prayers. After all, the pro-life movement started at the grassroots, and its strength has stayed there. Bishops are often supportive of pro-life groups in their dioceses, but few are focused on them. Most chancery staffs spend much more time on immigration, refugees, fundraising, and other programs that receive federal funding. Pro-life efforts receive no federal funding, so pro-lifers have to fend for ourselves. While our bishops have countless distractions, our parish priests know us and we know them. They offer our most reliable source of support and encouragement when it comes to celebrating Humane Vitae's birthday party. And a wise pastor has a good suggestion on how to make it work. It boils down to this. Instead of telling your pastor, Father, you ought to do something about this. Tell him, Father, a group of us would like to have a reading group in the parish to study Humanae Vitae. We've got the texts, the commentaries, and all the materials. All we need is some space in the parish one night a week and an announcement in the bulletin to spread the word. Don't worry, we'll do all the work, but we'd love to have your support, and it would be great if you could join us whenever you can. And by the way, a further note from long pastoral experience. Don't ask Father on the way out of Mass. Write him a note and ask him for a few minutes of his time at his convenience. There you'll have his full attention and he can write down what he remembers of your conversation and that's impossible when 50 or 100 people are shaking his hand after every service. Writing that letter also gives you the opportunity to pad your pitch, with some supporting evidence. In this case, not only the support from bishops, including your own, we hope, but especially referring to the world-class conference that the bishops sponsored in Washington at the Catholic University of America last April. It was thanks to the support from Catholic University's stalwart President John Garvey that this conference came off without a hitch, with the admirable support The conference offered three days of top-notch speakers and presentations, and they're all online. Supporters of Humane Vitae can cite this national conference as their inspiration for activities throughout the country in the diocesan and parish levels. And here's some great news. Our new website devoted to Humane Vitae is now online. It's a treasure trove of information for your parish group. Here's how to find it. Go to your website browser, and type in HumaneVitae.org, no spaces, and remember, the dot is a period. There you will find a treasure trove of information for your parish group. Just go to HumaneVitae.org to find not only the masterful history of contraception by Dr. Gonzalo Herranz in four languages, and by the way, that's the history of the promotion of contraception against church teaching, and natural law for over a 100 years, but it also includes the latest news and links in a wide array of resources. We'll be updating the site continually with new reports, materials, and insights from all over the world. In no time, it will be your go-to site for Humane Vitae news. Remember, just go to HumaneVitaeProject.org and enjoy. And please don't forget to support PRI so that we can keep this project worldwide in four languages going until everyone knows the truth about humane vitae. Northern Ireland High Court weighs legalized abortion. A High Court in Northern Ireland could soon legalize abortion in cases of life-threatening fetal disability. On January 30th and 31st, the High Court of Justice in Belfast, Northern Ireland, heard oral arguments in a case concerning a 28-year-old woman named Sarah Ewart who traveled to England back in 2013 to procure an abortion. Ewart's unborn child had been diagnosed with a serious congenital disorder. The case brought before the High Court of Justice seeks to legalize abortion in Northern Ireland in cases where the unborn child is suffering from a severe or life-threatening disability. Abortion is illegal in Northern Ireland except in cases to preserve the life of the mother or in cases where there are severe risks to the mother's physical or mental health. Northern Ireland is the last remaining country in the United Kingdom that does not permit abortion on demand. Ireland, a country which borders Northern Ireland to the south and west, legalized abortion late last year on demand up to 12 weeks and later in cases of health and fetal disability. Ewart's lawyer, Adam Straw, argued that Northern Ireland's law banning abortion violated Ewart's rights under Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights, an important European human rights treaty. Article 8 of the Convention guarantees the right to respect for an individual's privacy and family life. Attorney General for Northern Ireland John Larkin defended Northern Ireland's law prohibiting abortion retorting that legalizing abortion in cases of serious fetal disability would constitute a violation of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. And I quote, The unborn child belongs to the human race. Selecting out some unborn children for abortion on the basis of disability is prohibited, Larkin told the court. Indeed, the Committee on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities has said as much. The committee is the body tasked with monitoring the implementation of the ICRPD treaty. In 2017, in a written statement, the committee criticized the draft document for the UN Human Rights Committee's General Comment number 36, which had called on states to legalize abortion in cases and, quote, where the fetus suffers from fatal impairment, quote. The CPRD condemned the authorization of abortion targeting the unborn with disabilities, stating, laws which explicitly allow for abortion on grounds of impairment violate the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. The UK's official name is the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, It comprises Northern Ireland, England, Scotland, and Wales. The UK is bound by international treaty to observe both the European Convention and the ICRPD. The ICRPD has also been ratified by the European Union. Under the Human Rights Act of 1998, UK residents can sue for their rights under the European Convention in domestic court rather than having to appeal their cases to the European Court of Human Rights. Ewart's case was argued before Mrs. Justice Keegan of the High Court. At the conclusion of the hearings, Mrs. Justice Keegan reserved judgment on the case and will hand down a judgment at a future date. Regardless of which way the case goes, the decision is likely to be appealed to the Northern Ireland Court of Appeal, the country's highest court of appeal. After the court of appeal, the case may again be appealed to the U.K. Supreme Court and possibly, subsequently, to the European Court of Human Rights. Ewert's supported child has been diagnosed with anencephaly, a serious congenital disorder where a child is missing parts of the brain and skull. While the disorder is usually fatal, Infants born with anencephaly have been known to defy all odds and survive even to their first birthday and bring great joy to their families. This is barbaric, Bernie Smith of the pro-life organization Precious Life told The Guardian. The push to legalize abortion in the country, and I quote, is wrong and it should never be introduced here in Northern Ireland, he said. Eward and her attorney filed the case with a high court in Belfast after a decision by the UK Supreme Court last summer. There, the court found that Northern Ireland's laws prohibiting abortion in cases of rape, incest, and life-threatening fetal disability were a violation of Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights. However, the court stopped short of overturning Northern Ireland's abortion laws on a technicality. The Supreme Court case was brought by the Northern Ireland Human Rights Commission, N.I.H.R.C. The court found that the commission lacked standing in the case because it could not claim to be a victim. The commission had originally brought the case before the High Court of Justice back in 2015. The High Court had then ruled that Northern Ireland's laws banning abortion were a violation of Article 8 of the European Convention. Following the High Court's 2015 decision, the Northern Ireland Department of Justice, along with the Attorney General, successfully appealed the case to the Northern Ireland Court of Appeal on June 29, 2017. That court found that the legal status of abortion was a matter for the Northern Ireland legislature to decide, not the courts. In June 2018, the UK Supreme Court reversed the Court of Appeals decision, finding that Northern Ireland's laws banning abortion were a violation of Article 8 of the European Convention. However, because the NIHRC could not claim to be a victim, Northern Ireland's laws remain intact. To overcome this legal technicality, Ewart and her attorney subsequently filed a new case alleging that she had been a victim of Northern Ireland's abortion ban the Supreme Court has found that Northern Ireland's abortion law violates Article 8 of the European Convention. However, the European Court of Human Rights has never ruled that states are required by the Convention to legalize abortion in cases of fetal disability or in cases of rape and incest. According to that court, the legal status of abortion is a matter for states alone to decide. The court has made it clear that states under the European Convention are allowed a broad margin of appreciation to pass laws banning abortion. The court has never found any state in violation of Article 8 because of a government's decision to make abortion illegal in cases of life-threatening fetal disability. This has been the PRI Review from the Population Research Institute at POP.org. Thanks for listening.